0: Harriet Hosmer, by Anonymous, from Cosmopolitan Art Journal, December, 1859. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Born at Watertown, Massachusetts, October 9, 1830, Harriet Hosmer is the only surviving daughter of Dr. Hiram Hosmer, an eminent physician of that place, who, having lost wife and child by consumption, and fearing a like fate for the survivor, gave her horse, dog, gun, and boat, and insisted upon an outdoors life as indispensable to health. A fearless horsewoman, a good shot, an adept in rowing, swimming, diving, and skating, Harriet is a signal instance of what judicious physical training will effect in conquering even hereditary taint of constitution. Willingly as the active, energetic child acquiesced in her father's wishes, she contrived at the same time to gratify and develop her own peculiar tastes. And many a time and oft, when the worthy doctor may have flattered himself that his darling was an active exercise, she might have been found in a certain clay pit, not very far from the paternal residence, making early attempts at modeling horses, dogs, sheep, men, and women any objects in short which attracted her attention then too both here and subsequently at lennox she made good use of her time by studying natural history and of her gun by securing specimens for herself of the wild creatures of the woods feathered and furred dissecting some and with her own hands preparing and stuffing others the walls of the room devoted to her special use in the old house at home are covered with birds bats butterflies and beetles snakes and toads, while sundry bottles of spirits contained subjects carefully dissected and prepared by herself. Full of fun and frolic, numerous anecdotes are told of practical jokes perpetrated to such an excess that Dr. Hosmer, satisfied with the progress toward health and strength his child had made, and having endeavored without success to place her under tuition in daily and weekly schools near home, Determined to commit her to the care of Mrs. Sedgwick, of Lenox, Massachusetts. Thither the young lady was accordingly sent, with strict injunctions that health should be a paramount consideration, and that the pupil should have liberty to ride and walk, shoot and swim to her heart's content. In wiser or kinder hands the girl could not have been placed. Here, too, she met with Mrs. Fanny Kemble, whose influence tended to strengthen and develop her already decided tastes and predilections. To Mrs. Kemble we have heard the young artist gratefully attribute the encouragement which decided her to follow sculpture as a profession, and to devote herself and her life to the pursuit of art. In 1850 she left Lenox. Mrs. Sedgwick's judicious treatment, and the motive and encouragement supplied by Mrs. Kemble, had given the right impetus to that activity of mind and body which needed only guiding and directing into legitimate channels. She returned to her father's house at Watertown, to pursue her art studies, and to fit herself for the career she had resolved upon following. The life of the young girl was now full of earnest purpose and noble ambition, and the untiring energy and perseverance which distinguish her now in so remarkable a degree were at this time evidenced and developed. Having modeled one or two copies from the antique, she next tried her hand on a portrait bust, then cut Canova's bust of Napoleon in marble, working it entirely with her own hands, that she might make herself mistress of the process. Her father, seeing her devoted to her studies, seconded them in every possible way, and proposed to send her to his friend, Dr. McDowell, professor of anatomy, to the St. Louis College, that she might go through a course of regular instruction, and be thus thoroughly grounded for the branch of art she had chosen." the young artist was but too glad to close with the offer, and in the autumn of 1850 we find her at St. Louis, residing in the family of her favorite schoolmate from Lenox, winning the hearts of all its members by her frank, joyous nature and steady application, and securing in the head of it what she heartily and energetically calls the best friend I ever had. Dr. McDowell, charmed with the talent and earnestness of his pupil, afforded her every facility in his power giving her the freedom of the college at all times and occasionally bestowing upon her a private lecture when she attended to see him prepare dissections for the public ones pleasant and encouraging it is to find men of ability and eminence so willing to help a woman when she is willing to help herself The career of this young artist hitherto has been marked by the warm and generous encouragement of men like professor mcdowell and john gibson the sculptor and pleasant it is to find the affectionate and grateful appreciation of such kindness converting the temporary tie of master and pupil into the permanent one of tried and valued friendship through the winter and spring of 1851 in fact during the whole term harriet hosmer prosecuted her studies with unremitting zeal and attention, and at the close was presented with a diploma. During her stay at St. Louis, and as a testimony of her gratitude and regard, Miss Hosmer cut from a bust of Professor McDowell by Clevenger a medallion in marble, life-size, which is now in the museum of the college. It is, perhaps, worthy of note that Clevenger and Powers both studied anatomy under this professor. After graduating, she was determined to see something of the world and all alone she went to New Orleans, which was thoroughly explored. Returning up the river, she passed on to the falls of St. Anthony, and had many an adventure. The trip added to her good health and spirits. She returned home in the summer of 1851, and immediately set to work to model an ideal bust of Hesper, continuing her anatomical studies, and employing her intervals of leisure and rest in reading, writing, and boating now followed a period of earnest work cheered and inspired by those visions of success of purpose fulfilled of high aims realized which haunt the young and enthusiastic aspirant and throw a halo round the youthful days of genius which lends a color to the whole career to go to rome to make herself acquainted with all the treasures of art ancient and modern to study and work as the masters of both periods had studied and worked before her this was now our youthful artist's ambition and all the while she labored heart and soul at hesper the first creation of her genius watching its growth beneath her hand as a young mother watches step by step the progress of her firstborn, kneading in with the plastic clay all those thousand hopes and fears which turn by turn charm and agitate all who aspire at length the clay model finished a block of marble was sought and found and brought home to the shed in the garden hitherto appropriated to dissecting purposes but now fitted up as a studio here with her own small hands the youthful maiden short of stature and delicate in make anything but robust in health with chisel and mallet blocked out the bust and subsequently with rasp and file finished it to the last degree of manipulative perfection months and months it took and hours and days of quiet toil and patience but those wings of genius, perseverance, and in industry were hers, and love lent zest to the work. It was late summer in 1852 before Hesper was fully completed. September 29, 1852, father and daughter sailed for Europe, the St. Louis Diploma and Degra types of Hesper being carefully stowed away in the safest corner of the portmanteau, as evidences of what the young artist had already achieved. When, arrived at Rome, she should seek the instruction of one of two masters whose fame worldwide could alone satisfy our aspirant's ambition. So eager was her desire to reach Rome that a week only was given to England, when, joining some friends in Paris, the whole party proceeded to Rome, arriving in the Eternal City on the evening of November 12, 1852. Within two days the daguerreotypes were placed in the hands of Mr. Gibson, as he sat at breakfast in the cafe greco a famous place of resort for artists in less than a week harriet hosmer was fairly installed in mr gibson's studio and where she still is it is difficult however for master and pupil or we should rather say for the two friends to part for spite of the difference of years or perhaps in consequence of it a truly paternal and filial affection has sprung up between the two A source of great happiness to themselves and of pleasure and amusement to all who know and value them, from the curious likeness yet unlikeness which existed from the first in Miss Hosmer to Mr. Gibson, and which daily intercourse has not tended to lessen. Her first winter in Rome was passed in modeling from the antique, Mr. Gibson desiring to assure himself of the correctness of Miss Hosmer's eye and the soundness of her knowledge, Hesper evincing the possession of the imaginative and creative power. From the first, Mr. Gibson expressed himself more than satisfied with her power of imitating the roundness and softness of flesh, saying, upon one occasion, that he had never seen it surpassed and not often equalled. Her first attempt at original design in Rome was a bust of Daphne, quickly succeeded by another of the Medusa, the beautiful Medusa, and a lovely thing it is, faultless in form and intense in its expression of horror and agony, without trenching on the physically painful. We've already spoken of the warm friend Miss Hosmer made for herself, during her winter at St. Louis, in the head of a family at whose house she was a guest. This gentleman, as a godspeed to the young artist on her journey to Rome, sent her, on the eve of departure, an order to a large amount for the first figure she should model, leaving her entirely free to select her own time and subject. A statue of Enone was the result, which is now in the house of Mr. Crow at St. Louis, and which gave such satisfaction to its possessor and his fellow-townsmen that an order was forwarded to miss hosmer for a statue for the public library at st louis on the same liberal and considerate terms beatrice cenci which won so many golden opinions from critics and connoisseurs was in fulfilment of this order the third summer still found her at rome some little reverses in her father's money matters induced him to suggest the propriety of the daughter's return home for a while, and the summons came as she was just on the eve of departure to England, to spend the hot fever months of the Campania. With her characteristic decision, she resolved not to go home and desert her art. The journey to England was immediately given up, and she arranged to remain in Rome during the dangerous season of malaria, to work and earn money as well as reputation. Hitherto all her wants had been supplied— Now she could not only supply herself, but also help others. The summer passed, and Harriet was spared any illness. She labored with an enthusiasm and energy truly marvelous. The fruit of this labor was the exquisite statue of Puck, one of the most charming and spirited of all compositions. So popular has it become that it has since been repeated several times, the last for the young Prince of Wales, who honored the maiden's studio with a special visit one copy is also in the possession of the duke of hamilton the original was ordered by and is now in possession of samuel hooper esq of boston puck was followed by the beatrice and a recumbent life-size figure for the monument of a beautiful young woman who died in rome and is buried in the church of san andreo della fraccio in the via mercede close upon the piazza di spagna this work has excited great admiration it is death-touchingly rendered, beauty rarely interpreted. This monument was composed while the cenchi was being put into marble. Of the Cenci, we need not speak at length. Its exhibition in this country has served to render the sculptor's name a familiar one, and served to give the American public some idea of her capacity and genius. It is a life-size of the unfortunate woman whose terrible tragedy is told so touchingly by Shelley, And more recently by Guarazzi in his novel of beatrice cenci the moment chosen is the night before her execution when overcome by her despair and unmerited fortune she falls upon her couch for sleep the figure reclines upon the bench the limbs dropping to the floor the hair disheveled the face of suffering yet of a nobility in expression which marks the true woman this statue is now in the st louis mercantile library rooms the property of Mr. Crow. The last and greatest of Miss Hausmer's work is her Zenobia, which is thus referred to by Mrs. Lydia M. Child. Quote, The statue of Zenobia is larger than life-size. The head is covered with a helmet fashioned like a tiara in the front, suggested by a medal of the Palmyrene Queen in the British Museum. Under this, in keeping with the royal costumes of the East, is a gemmed fillet the ends of which fall among her curls and meet in a pleasing line the ornamented chinte crossed upon the breast the left hand clutches the chain fastened to her wrist by manacles in the shape of bracelets on the right arm which falls naturally and easily by her side is visible a thin sleeve looped up in amazonian fashion over this first dress is a shorter robe of thicker material the ample folds of a rich mantle fastened on the shoulders with gems breaks up the monotonous outline of the more closely fitting garments the whole costume is a charming combination of grecian grace with oriental magnificence in the position of the feet and limbs the artist seems to me to have accomplished the exceedingly difficult task of making a just poise between action and repose it indicates precisely the slow measured tread natural to a stately person walking in a procession the expression of the beautiful face is admirably conceived It is sad, but calm and very proud, the expression of a great soul, whose regal majesty no misfortune could dethrone. Miss Hosmer, in a letter accompanying the photograph, writes, I have tried to make her too proud to exhibit passion or emotion of any kind, not subdued, though a prisoner, but calm, grand, and strong within herself. I think the public will agree that she has successfully embodied this high ideal of her superb subject. End of quote. Besides these works, Miss Hosmer has executed several busts, medallions, etc., which are marked by many excellencies. Among them may be named Bust of the Lady of Lewis Cass, Jr., Medallion of Dr. McDowell of St. Louis, Medallion Head of Lady Constance Talbot, etc. She has in model a companion piece to Puck in The Willow the Wisp, said to exceed even the Puck in its spirit, grace, and power of expression. "'Miss Hosmer visited America in the summer of 1858 "'after the completion and shipment hence of her cenci. "'Her reception was indeed cordial. "'In New York she was a guest of Reverend Dr. Bellows, "'who gave, through Frank Leslie's illustrated newspaper, "'a good sketch of her life and labors. "'She is now in Rome, still in her Gibson studio, "'which has been enlarged for her purposes.' and should her life and health be spared, the public have great reason to expect from her hands works which will not fail to render her renowned, and give her position with the most eminent of modern sculptors. The portrait prefixed to this sketch is furnished us by Dr. Hosmer, and is therefore perfectly authentic. It is from a photograph taken in Rome. The lady is in her studio costume, with her tools in her hand, and a statue at her side. We have succeeded in giving a good reproduction of her figure." End of Harriet Hosmer by Anonymous Recorded by Colleen McMahon